There was a boy who came to his father one day and he said to him, Dad, I think my vision is not going so well. We won't say the names, we'll protect the innocent here, but this boy came to his father and his mother complaining that he couldn't see. And so mom and dad said to him, well, why do you think that? We've never noticed anything in you. We don't have the tools to look into your eyes to be able to know for sure whether you have bad sight. And so the boy said, well, the reason I think that my vision isn't what it should be is because when we drive in the car, my little brother sees things before me. And so the father laughed to himself and to the mom and said, this is just an excuse because, see, in this family, everything is a competition. And so when the older can't see things that the younger sees, the conclusion is there must be a reason for it. It's because my eyes are going bad. So the father kind of laughed and the mom believed the boy. Of course, moms always believe their sons, but the father didn't. And so he said, well, let's go to the eye doctor. And the eye doctor actually has the tools to look into your eyes. The eye doctor will know. And what he's going to do is he's going to project some, some letters on the wall. And when you read that row of letters, we'll know whether you can see or not, whether you're nearsighted, nearsighted or not. So the day of the doctor's appointment came and the father took his son to the eye doctor and they're sitting in the room and in walks in the, uh, I don't know what the proper title is, the eye nurse, essentially, and she projects the letters on the wall. And you know how these uh, tests go. The first one's always easy. So big letters. The boy looks at the wall and he smiles and he reads them right off. E-D-F-L-M. Everything's fine. And the dad kind of smiles and laughs to himself. And he says, see, I knew it. I knew that this was all just an excuse. He can actually see. He just wanted to know why his brother saw something before him. But then the next row came up, and it was a little bit smaller. The boy kind of squinted at the letters, and he says, um, a really fancy D, a thumbs up sign. <laughs> and at that point, the father knew, right, that the boy actually couldn't see. And again, we'll protect the names to protect the innocent. The reason I tell you that story is because I think it is illustrative. It is illustrative of what our life in this world looks like. So often we are nearsighted. We squint through this world and we can't quite make out what everything is. And so things like the letter L look like really fancy Ds. And things like the letter F look like thumbs up signs. And what happens when your vision is bad is that everything else goes bad. If you can't see, if you are nearsighted and you can't see the goal, well, you're never going to get there, are you? Our church here on the first Sunday after Trinity sets out to correct our vision, to make sure that we have the proper perspective on life and to make sure that we have the proper perception. Those two things always go together, to have the proper perspective and the proper perception so that we don't go through this world like nearsighted people, squinting and making mistakes and making errors and not knowing what's what and who's who and why we're here and where we're headed and how to get there in the end. The first Sunday after Trinity in this parable of the rich man and Lazarus set before you the proper perspective on life. Same thing happens in our church year, by the way, on the first Sunday in Advent. We always start at the end. And that's the way it should be. 
Because if you don't start with the end in view, if you make one little mistake at the beginning, well, it's a lot harder to correct the course at the end. And so if we have the wrong perspective on our lives, if we have the wrong perception about what the good life really is, we will end up very far from the goal. And it's much harder, much, much harder, darn near impossible to make the correction at the end rather than at the beginning. So let Jesus set your eyes right this morning. Let Jesus give you the proper perspective and the proper perception about what the good life really looks like. You have before you in that reading from Luke a parable of two men. These two men are two kinds of life. There is the life that looks so good, that looks so luxurious, that looks so comfortable, and then you have the life that looks so, well, miserable. A rich man and a poor man. A man clothed in purple and fine linen and a man clothed in his own sores. A man who feasts sumptuously every single day of his life and a man who would just kill for but a little bite of bread. A man who is surrounded by friends, a man who is surrounded by important people, a man whose reputation is probably hailed by everyone in the community, and a man who nobody wants to have anything to do with. A rich man and a poor man. A rich man and Lazarus. If you have the wrong perspective, if you have the wrong perception about what counts as the good life and what life is really for, well, then you're going to look at the rich man and say, he's the guy who's got it all. Because in a sense, he does, doesn't he? He has all kinds of good things. And I'm not standing here before you today to say that all those good things are actually really bad things. No, they actually are good things. To have wealth, to have clothing, to have food, to have friends, to have a good reputation, these are all good things. Didn't Father Abraham say so? Remember, child, you received your good things. God was gracious to that rich man. He gave him so many Good things. This is how God the Father always is. God the Father is generous to his children, but the problem comes, the problem comes not from the good things. The problem comes from our own sinful hearts. Good things can become a problem, not because they are bad in and of themselves, but good things become abused when our vision gets lost, when our perspective is faulty and wrong. And what you heard about the rich man this morning is something that I am sure that you have felt in yourself, that you have surely seen in people in the world when good things become everything. The rich man in the parable today shows us what a self-satisfied life looks like. And it looks pretty good, doesn't it? To have that kind of clothing, to have that kind of food, to have those kind of friends, to be able to have a party every single day of your life, well, well I'm not going to make you show your, a raise of hands, but I'm sure that all of us in this room this morning would want those good things. The Pharisees in Jesus' day loved those things. In fact, what we didn't read this morning is that immediately prior to this, the Pharisees were making fun of Jesus. They were ridiculing him and mocking him because of what he was teaching about true wealth. 
Jesus had just gotten done giving this parable, a different one, about a dishonest manager. And they laughed at Jesus because he had the audacity. He had the audacity to say that your wealth, that your goods, the good things in your life, are not meant to serve you, but they're meant to serve your neighbor. And so the Pharisees ridiculed him. What a fool this man is. What a, what a waste. They loved money. They loved themselves. And so they mocked Jesus because they had the wrong perspective They had the wrong perception about what stuff is all for. And so they thought that good things, and make no mistake, they are good things, were the only things. That had happened long before in Israel's history, too. In the book of Deuteronomy, Moses gave one final sermon to the people of Israel, and he warned them about this very thing. He put it quite poetically this way. He said, when the Most High gave... To the nations their inheritance. When he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the people, but the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is his allotted heritage. And he goes on to list all the blessings that the Lord poured out on his people Israel. But listen to this prophetic warning of Moses. Jeshurun, which is another name for Israel, grew fat and kicked. You grew fat, stout, and sleek, and he forsook God who made him. He forgot the rock from which he was born. See, here is the danger of good things. That if you fill up your life with food, and if you fill up your closet with fancy clothes, and if you fill up your schedule with all kinds of parties, and if you fill up your life with all kinds of people who praise you and tell you how wonderful you are, you start to believe it, don't you? You start to say, yeah, I am pretty good. I do have a lot of things. And I provided these things for myself. After all, I worked hard for this. I deserve it. I deserve to enjoy the fruit of my labor. And before long, that nearsightedness sets in. Before long, all of the good things in life become the only things. And what is forgotten, what is lost, is the one who gives those good things. The rich man had many good things in his life, and the problem was not that he had many good things. The problem was that he abused them. He thought they were the only things. And what happened to that rich man in the parable of Jesus stands out for us this morning as a warning. Jesus often spoke in warnings. You know, it's kind of strange, right? People have this idea that Jesus was just kind and gentle and sweet. But do you know who preached more about hell than any other person in Scripture? It was our Lord Jesus. Our Lord warns us about these things so that we would not be nearsighted, so that we wouldn't fall into this such a common error. For Jesus himself says, broad is the path that leads to destruction, and there are many, many, many who walk on it. The path that leads to destruction is paved with fancy clothes. The path that leads to destruction is paved with rich food. The path that leads to destruction is paved, dear friends, with people who will praise you and tell you how wonderful that you are. Beware. Beware of those things. Self-satisfaction. Self-satisfaction is a blindness, it is a deception, it is an illusion. 
And the parable of Jesus is meant this morning to show us what really comes in the end so that we don't look at that rich man and say, wow, that's a thumbs up sign. But so that we would look at that rich man and see here is a dangerous way to live. Now again, don't get me wrong. It's not bad to have good things. Good things are good things. Good clothes are good clothes. Good food is good food. And good company is good company. There is nothing wrong with those things in and of themselves. But if that becomes the only thing, well then all that good stuff has actually poisoned you. Left nearsighted, we would become just like this rich man. We would become ruled by our desires, ruled by our comforts. And it is especially in an age like ours that is so soft. It is especially in an age and a society like ours, which is so well-to-do, that this kind of danger is very, very real. You can see how it goes with the rich man. You can notice that even in hell, even in Hades, as he is burning, he is only thinking, he is only thinking about what is temporary. He is only thinking of comfort. Send Lazarus to dip his finger in the water and just let him sprinkle a little bit of water in my mouth. See how this rich man who had everything that he wanted, see how short-sighted he is. Instead of asking to be taken out of the flame, instead of asking for a cup of water, he wants just a drop. Because he has learned throughout his life to look only at what is right in front of him. He sees only the immediate pressing moment. He sees only the immediate need. And he doesn't see with the proper perspective. He doesn't see with the proper perception. He sees only good things. Now, Lazarus sees only bad things, but you have to see those things also with the proper perspective. Lazarus is left there at the rich man's gate wishing that he had something, and he is a picture for us this morning of suffering. He is the perfect picture of only this, of suffering. There is nothing good in Lazarus's life, is there? He has no friends. He only has dogs. He has no food. He only wishes he could have a bite of bread, and he has He has no clothing except his own sores. Poor, hungry, friendless. Lazarus is the picture of suffering. And yet, and yet Lazarus has the proper perspective on these things. Lazarus didn't despair. Lazarus didn't give up hope. Lazarus didn't give up love. How could that possibly be? How could you have nothing in this world and yet have everything? How could you have no friends? How could you have no food? How could you have no clothing and yet still make it in this world? There is only one way, and that is by knowing the one who is infinitely valuable. Now, it's not told in the parable, Lazarus believed in the Lord, Lazarus trusted the Lord, but that is revealed in the end. In the end, it is revealed that Lazarus is the one who actually had everything. In the end, we are shown the proper perspective and the proper perception, not just about good things, that they are rewards from the Lord to be received with thanksgiving, but also we are taught how to see our sufferings, that even in our sufferings, the Lord is doing something good for us. How is it that we sang it in our opening hymn this morning? My only design is your dross to consume and your gold to refine. Here is the way to view your sufferings in this world. Here is the way to view your sicknesses. Here is the way to view, even in the end, your physical death. 
that it is meant to show you your need so that you may turn to the one who can help. Lazarus had no other helpers, but Lazarus needed no other helpers. His name means the Lord is my help. And surely that is the truth that we are to see in Lazarus, that when we cannot provide for ourselves, we are not alone. The Lord is with us. That when we cannot sustain ourselves, when we can no longer even cause ourselves to take another breath, it is the Lord who will sustain us. That doesn't always make life easy. That doesn't always mean that we will have a smooth path and that, you know, it'll be better in the morning. Sometimes it's like that. Sometimes in the night, all of our problems kind of loom over us and seem too large. And when the morning comes, all it takes is a little bit of sunshine and a cool day to say, you know what, I'm going to be okay. But you know as well as I do that there are other times where no matter how many days you wake up, no matter how nice the weather is outside, your sufferings don't go away. And the only thing that can sustain you then is knowing that the Lord Jesus is your Lord. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save, not those who were satisfied in themselves, but the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who were lost, men like Lazarus. I'm sure that after he told this parable, Jesus was even ridiculed all the more. What, you think we should be like Lazarus? You want us to be like him? You came to help lowly, poor, insignificant people like Lazarus? But that is truly what Jesus has come to do. And that is our hope. For the healthy have no need of a physician. Isn't that what Jesus taught? But those who are sick and those who know their sickness, those who know their need, it is those who know the power of Jesus Christ. It is those who know the sweetness of his love. So don't be dismayed, dear friends, when you have wants. Don't be dismayed when you have needs that no amount of money can provide. Don't be dismayed when there is sickness all around you, when you are finally on your deathbed. Don't sit there and say to yourself, if only, if only, if only. But learn how sickness can lead you to prayer. And learn how even things like death can open your eyes to the power of Jesus Christ. For he is the one who can sustain us in every time of need. And in the end, in the end, it is those who look to Jesus who will be comforted. It is those who learn to trust in the Lord in this life who will be comforted. But see, sometimes this parable can get taken kind of in a strange way, right? As if Jesus kind of gives people a good life, and then he gives them hell in the end. And then if he gives you a bad life, he'll give you heaven in the end, right? Kind of a big twist. And what's left out of that is the actual key to this parable. For what does it say in the end? Listen to the prophets. Which is another way of saying, take hold of the word of God. Trust in the word of God. That is the point of the parable. That is the only way to heaven. That is the only comfort that we will have in the end. And that is our source of courage and strength in the present time. If you have Moses and the prophets, then you have the Lord Jesus. And if you have the Lord Jesus, then you have hope in every situation. Then you have strength in every situation. Listen to Moses and the prophets. Now, when Jesus spoke those words, he had not yet suffered and risen from the dead. But now I think we can twist those words just a little bit or, or magnify them a little bit. Listen not just to Moses and the prophets, but listen to the Lord Jesus and his apostles. And possess that word of God, hold fast to it in the Holy Christian Church. 
Sadly, this is the piece that so many people miss, or they overlook, or they deliberately forget. Oh, yes, I know the Lord Jesus, but I don't need his church. Oh, yes, I have the word of God written in scripture, but I don't need a preacher who stands up in front of me. Oh, yes, I love the Lord Jesus, and I'm going to hold fast to him. I don't need the sacrament of the altar by which he strengthens me in the faith. You need all of these things, dear friend. Scripture written down for your learning. Scripture proclaimed for your hearing. The sacraments delivered to you to strengthen you and nourish you in the faith. Never be self-satisfied. Even when it comes to your faith, never say, well, I did that when I was a kid, or I don't need that any longer, or what's a, uh, just a couple, couple times missing church? I can go on vacation and come right on back. Never become satisfied even with your own faith. Learn to find Christ in his word, in his sacraments, in his holy Christian church, and then you will have the proper perspective. And then, then you will have a life, then you will have a life that needs no shame. In the end, this rich man was left friendless. In the end, this rich man was left comfortless. In the end, the rich man looked back on his life and he thought, I wish I could go back and change it all. You don't want to live that kind of life. You don't want to end up on your deathbed and say, I wish I could go back and change it. I wish that, you know, my life had meant something else. I wish that my life had shown something else. You can hear what his concern is at the very end, can't you? Send someone back to my brothers so that they can learn from someone else. But what did Father Abraham say to the man? You should have showed them your whole life. You should have showed them how to listen to Moses and the prophets. Don't let that be said of you. And especially on this day, on Father's Day, I want to appeal to each and every father in this room and to all the men of this congregation who serve as spiritual fathers to their spiritual children. Let your life show your children what is truly valuable. Let your life show your children what matters most. Let your life show your children and the whole world, Moses and the prophets, and the one who Moses and the prophets pointed to, Jesus Christ. Let that be the testimony of your life, not your fancy clothes, not your rich food, not all the friends that you amassed in the world. Those are good things, and you will have those. But best of all is to show in your life the word of God is your treasure to show in your life that the word of God is your shield, to show in your life that the word of God is your great reward. That is the life that is truly worth living. That is the good life. Trinity 1, the first Sunday after Trinity, gives us this perspective. It gives us this proper perception about what is truly good in the world and even also what the sufferings of our life are meant to cause us to do. So learn to see with Jesus this morning. Learn to see through his holy word so that your whole life may be directed to this and you may lead a life that has no shame. To Christ be the glory now and always.